And so, let's, uh, let's begin, let's see, where do you want to begin? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? Let's go with John chapter 12. John chapter 12. So the title of this morning's message is Rejoice Greatly, Salvation is Here. Rejoice Greatly, Salvation is Here. All right. So <clears throat> leading up to this day, we have um, Mary anoints Jesus uh, at Bethany, which is, Bethany is located... Um, east of uh, the Temple Mount. It's across the Kidron Valley going east and up over the Mount of Olives. And it's just a little further from the Mount of Olives. It was there that uh, Mary anointed Jesus. And we also have uh, th- this, this portion of Scripture that leads us to uh, the moment when Jesus was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is when um, there was a plot made to basically kill Jesus. And so here we come to Jesus' triumphal entry. So beginning in John chapter 12, verse 12, we read, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Heavenly Father, we ask that you'd bless our time together. May we truly have a heart that rejoices in salvation that has come to us. And I pray that this day would be a time of refreshing, would be a time in which we can look back 2,000 years and see how it was that you entered into this week passionately, knowing that before you, well, the wrath of God would be poured out upon you, but it was for the sake of saving all who were willing to cry out to you because of your sacrifice on the cross. And so, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, with thankful hearts, grateful. Thank you that you went through with the Father's will. Thank you, Lord, that you demonstrated your own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But this was just the beginning. All of this you saw before you. And I pray, Lord, that we as your people would cry out along with everyone else I did on this day, Hosanna, God save us. Thank you for saving us. And so now we praise you, we adore you, and we do so with great joy. And so speak to us this morning. Give us understanding. May we have ears to hear what you would have us to hear and understand and hearts to obey to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what we just read, there are two verses in the Old Testament that uh, were quoted in, in what we just read. Number one was Psalm 118.26, and the other one was Zechariah 9.9. So it's amazing how it is that these people who were crying out, 
giving Jesus this praise, we're quoting Old Scripture, Old, Old Testament Scripture. Beautiful. The city of Jerusalem. Oh, it was just a wonderful time to be in Jerusalem. It was preparing for Passover, and tens of thousands of people were gathering. They were pouring in from all over the land. Uh, there was great excitement and fervor that was really rising um, at this moment, this very moment, this time that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And even the Pharisees were, well, they were conceding, you can say, in a sense, to Jesus. In John chapter 12, verse 19, it says, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So they were even seeing what was happening. They, they were saying, Everyone. Everyone is going after Jesus and following Him and crying out to Him, Hosanna! Hosanna! God save us! For three years, Jesus had been walking out the will of the Father. For three years, which included this very day, the fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It was being fulfilled right before their very eyes. And they even quoted Zechariah 9.9. For three years, Jesus taught, he corrected, he performed miracle after miracle, showing that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. There was, there was no reason to doubt that he was proclaiming that he was the Son of God all the way up to this day. But now it was really going to be revealed. It was really going to be laid out really plain for everyone to, to understand who it was that he said he was. For three years he has healed the sick, making the lame walk, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak, the blind to see, and has poured himself out in teaching these 12 men who would further carry out the gospel message to the whole world. They were his eyewitnesses to all of what had taken place up to that point. And they would also be witnesses to testify of the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, these are the very same men who had, will see all of this through and will also see the ascension of Jesus Christ after his resurrection. And just days before this, days before, you can imagine, here's Palm Sunday. Days before, it was Mary and Martha who had witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. He had come back from the dead. And everyone heard about this. This was common knowledge. News traveled throughout the whole land. And people were gathering, not just for the Passover, but they wanted also to come and see the one who had raised Lazarus from the dead. In verse 17, it says, The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. And so we know that was part of it. I mean, it was like, wow, Jesus, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Mary and Martha, they were witnesses, witnesses to this, and so they testified to that which was true. So there were even more people gathering around. 
Jesus' entry into the city of Jerusalem was not going to be a casual stroll, though. Again, I can, in, in my own mind's eye, I can go back to the Mount of Olives and look across to the Temple Mount. But from the Mount of Olives, you can also look over. Because this is on the eastern side of the Temple Mount, of the old city. If you look across, you can see the northern section where there is something, not the temple itself, but is the very place where Jesus would be crucified. He was coming with that in mind. And he came to openly and deliberately declare that he was indeed the king of Israel, as they were proclaiming. He came to reveal, to openly declare with clarity that he was the anointed one. He is the promised Messiah, the one who had been predicted by the prophets of God in the Old Testament. About a year before this, Jesus was teaching a large crowd out in the country on this hillside. And he went far into the day. It was at that time that his disciples were telling him, oh, send the people into the city, you know, that we have nothing to feed them with. They're hungry, as, as he had stated. And Jesus told them, you feed them. <laughs> where, where, how are we going to feed them? You know, we don't have enough money to feed all these people. You know, it would take a year's worth of wages to, uh, to feed all of them. But then he asked, you know, well, what is available? And they found this little boy. And he had five loaves of bread and two fish. And with that, Jesus blessed the food and over 5,000 people had food to eat. And they knew this. The people who were there in that very place on the Mount of Olives with Jesus coming down in Jesus' triumphal entry knew about all of this. They knew about it. The crowd was so impressed that they wanted to make him a king. In John 6, 15, it says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So it wasn't the first time that they wanted to make Jesus king. But again, they were thinking, perhaps he can deliver us from Roman oppression. He can deliver us from what we have to deal with here. The crowd sensed that Jesus had the bearing to be the long-awaited king of Israel, but the kind of king they wanted wasn't what Jesus had in mind. This isn't, this isn't what he came to do at the time, at the moment. You know, and we need to, as we go through and consider Palm Sunday, we need to really genuinely come to understand that Jesus at this point, has not established his earthly kingdom. He will one day. But for us today, Jesus told his disciples, and so he tells us today, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. In other words, don't be overwhelmed. Don't grow anxious For he says, I have overcome the world. We need to realize right now is not the time when when Jesus is going to make all 
all things you know, perfect and well here on earth. I'm sure each and every one of you, as we go around the room, we can talk about our own tribulations, our own issues that we're dealing with. And if we continue, if the Lord continues to give us life, we're going to experience more. <laughs> That's just the way it is. But we can have peace in the midst of those trials, knowing that what is before us is the hope of eternal life with the Lord in His glory. And so even the crowd then, they wanted Him to be their earthly king, make all things better. But something far better than that was going to be offered to them. And that is being right before the Father through Him. Having that peace in our hearts. That is the best thing that we can possess. And it can only be found in Jesus Christ. And so they wanted an earthly king, a king who would sit upon the throne of David to deliver them from Rome. They wanted again an earthly king. But when it came, became apparent that Jesus was not going to be that kind of king, the crowds turned on him. They called for his blood and they crucified him. But this was all part of the Father's will. All was, it was all part of the Father's will. His plan of salvation and so Jesus fulfilled. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19, it says, And and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and will be raised on the third day. So Jesus, what he was telling his disciples, some. This is what we're going to. This is what I'm going to. Later, he would tell Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So he's making it very clear. Listen, I'm not setting up my earthly kingdom right now. I came for a different purpose. I came as servant of all. I came to sacrifice myself, of which they will come to know fully in just less than a week. Jesus' kingdom is indeed not of this world, but his kingdom is for this world. To save the lost, to give sight to the blind, to save from eternal condemnation. This entry into Jerusalem was one that was prophesied about by Zechariah, as we read, And in no way would be misconstrued as being anything but the Messiah coming into the city of David, just as it had been prophesied. And what we have before us is Jesus revealing, again revealing, making it super clear who it is that He is. Not not just to His disciples, He'd been telling them, but to all mankind. But just like today, unfortunately, not all respond in a favorable way. People are coming into Jerusalem from all over. Thousands are beginning to gather, pouring into the city to celebrate the Passover. And Jesus is coming, the Passover lamb. Um, In Genesis chapter 22, again, keep in mind that we are on the Mount of Olives. We're looking across the Kidron Valley, which runs north and south along the eastern side of the Temple Mount. Um, The entry into the temple 
uh, is uh, the southern steps. So it, it would be uh, a straight across from the Mount of Olives. But what we have before us is something that I'd like to read to you about in Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together, and Isaac said uh, said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both, they went both of them together. Now, just for a, a moment, I want to stop because what we know from the New Testament, from what Hebrews tells us, is that what Abraham had in mind, he told them, he told the men, you stay here. Me and the boy are going to go and worship, but we will come back again. Because Abraham believed that even if God had um, actually called Abraham to follow through with the sacrifice, that God would raise him from the dead. Why? Because God had promised him to bless all through Isaac, his son of promise. And God does not go back on his word. So when we read this in Genesis 22, if you don't know what it says in Hebrews, then you'll, you'll read this and go, wow, what is this, right? But he went with that in mind. And we know that from Hebrews. Now, verse 9, it says, When they came to the place of of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Stop. Isaac was not a little boy, as sometimes some of our cartoons and, you know, Hollywood portrays him as. He was a young man. He could have very well overpowered old Abraham. But he didn't. It's a picture of Jesus Christ going willingly to the sacrifice. That's what we have there. Like, wow. You know, that's what blesses the Father. Is that sacrifice. You, you know what blesses the Father today? Because the sacrifice is done. Is obedience. Isaac is being obedient. The son was obedient. And so we, we bless the Lord by being obedient to the Lord. In verse 10 says, And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went 
and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So, guess where Mount Moriah is? Mount of Olives, across the Kidron Valley, and up into the Temple Mount. That is Mount Moriah. Yeah, the very place. God said He will provide for Himself a sacrifice. was the very place where God indeed provided for Himself a sacrifice. I just wanted to share that with you because I, I, I started thinking about how it was that Jesus, knowing these things, must have stood on top of Mount, the Mount of Olives and seen all of this. He, he knew So they arrived at the Mount of Olives. Jerusalem, they're there. They look beyond the Kidron Valley and Jesus calls for His disciples to bring Him a donkey that had never been ridden. They found the donkey just as He said. And Zechariah 9.9 was fulfilled before their eyes as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on this donkey. Hosanna, salvation is here. Oh, salvation is indeed here. And this is how we ought to come to Palm Sunday, with full knowledge. We understand these things. We see them for what they are. This is the very thing we ought to proclaim to, to all mankind. Oh, salvation is here. Hosanna. God has sent a Savior. Who is this? Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 21, because that question was asked. At that point also, Matthew chapter 21 Matthew chapter 21 and verse 6. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Um, so we have the area of Galilee. We have Nazareth. Um, so it was, there was no mistake. It was, um, it was like saying, Okay, so for us, we have first and last names. Right? Uh, first and last names. Well, a lot of people have your first and last name in case you didn't know it. Just look it up. Google it. I'm sure you'll find lots of you all over. <laughs> Pull up my name and I thought I was unique. No, I'm not very unique. Um, there's apparently all kinds of people with my name all over the world. But here's specific. So this is Raw, who, Montana, who lives in High Grove. Um, he lives on Trabert. He is the son of Raul and Irma Montano. It's like, oh, you can't mistake him. Okay, that's, that's, okay, that's who we're talking about. This was extremely specific. This is Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth from Galilee. There's only one. This is him. 
This is him. Who is he? This is him. The crowds knew exactly who this was. The people answered their own question. Who is this? Could this be? Could this really be Jesus of Nazareth? This is none other than that Jewish carpenter from Nazareth of Galilee. This ride on the colt was a deliberate act of self-disclosure. That's what this was. There could be no doubt as to who Jesus was claiming to be and was. And here Jesus fulfilled prophecy. The prophecy of Daniel 70 weeks, which many believe Jesus fulfilled to the exact day on this, per- this particular day, this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jot down Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. So these people knew who Jesus was. They were spreading their clothes and tree branches, uh, including palm branches on the ground before him. And here's the significance. What the people were telling Jesus by doing this is that they recognized that he was their king at that point. They're fickle. But at that point, they were saying, you are the one who is going to deliver us from oppression. They were extending to him their loyalty and promise to support him. And this was definitely a triumphal entry. People before him and after him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Mark chapter 11 verse 9 says, And those who went before and those who followed were shouting. Luke 19.37 says, The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. And it's okay, by the way, when we worship God. When we worship God here... When we worship God, to lift our voices to Him. To raise Him up. His disciples did, and all the people rejoiced in the Lord. Let's rejoice in the Lord, truly. John 12, 13 said, and went out to meet Him, crying out. So every every area, you know, it's it's crying out, giving Him His praise, praise with loud voice. The people said of Jesus... He is the son of David. He comes in the name of the Lord. He's the king of Israel. That's what they were proclaiming. It's, you know, a lot of people tend to do the same thing. So as we also consider Palm Sunday in this great rejoicing, calling out for the Savior to save, you know, let's not be like these people that is that in that one moment they sung his praises and the next moment they were saying crucify him. In other words, they turned their back on him. May we not be those people. May we understand who he is and how it is that we sing his praises and we worship him and do it continuously and consistently and not turn our backs on him. This is what they were saying. In fact, in Philippians, this is... Jesus, fully man, fully God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Says, uh, speaking of Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of, of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So fully man and fully God. Um, that, that word, uh, you know, equality with God to be something that's grasped, something to be of personal benefit to Jesus is what that was speaking of. And yet through his obedience, he fulfilled the will of the Father and brought glory to God the Father. For God wishes that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so this was the act. This was the beginning of what the fulfillment during this Passion Week was going to accomplish is the blood was going to be shed of the unblemished Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Hosanna, salvation is here. So tell the world, Jesus is salvation. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Tolerance. Do you know that the world tolerates everything but Jesus? I thought maybe that was news to you, but... Um, yeah, very tolerant world, but not towards Jesus. If you speak of Jesus and Him, if, if you quote John fourteen six, when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, they'll say, well, that's narrow. There are still, of course, people today that are trying to silence Jesus' followers, his belie- his, those who believe in him. Right? And, and it's nothing new. There's, there's nothing new that we have before us today that wasn't true back then. In Luke chapter 19, verses 39 and 40, let's read there. Because they're crying out in verse 38, it says, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. What? That, by the way, was very clear. The Pharisees knew exactly what Jesus was saying. And Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking. They were thinking, this is blasphemy. The only one who should receive this kind of praise is God. And to the Pharisees, he wasn't God. But he just said that if they stopped and they stopped crying out, that the rocks themselves would cry out. It's pretty clear. There were those who did not believe, even though they knew scriptures very well. Had they gone back to the Old Testament scriptures and looked at what the prophets had prophesied, what even Moses had written, they could have seen Jesus for who he was and is today. They were more interested in keeping their own authority and rule over the people. Their place in the world. A favor in the eyes of Rome. They were willing to sacrifice the truth for those things. They would rather kill the word and live for the world's favor rather than die to the world and live for the word. Oh, 
I think sometimes we get a little too mixed up with the world and we're seeking the favor of the world over the, the word itself. Never. We, we shouldn't do that. They had scripture before them, but were blind. And we're even calling Jesus a blasphemer because there was no doubt. Again, there was no doubt at that moment in their minds that Jesus was receiving praise that was only to be given to God. And that is because he was God. He is God. Jesus himself answered the Pharisees, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Can you imagine? Jesus said, okay, go ahead and stop. Watch this, guys. Where's that coming from? Where's the, where's the singing coming from? The very rocks are crying out. There are those today that ignorantly and without searching out Scripture desire to silence those who shout and cry out that Jesus is the Son of God. Much of it is with ignorance. It's just parroting what they hear from other people. It's not truly searching out Scripture and, and seeing it for what it is, doing their own research. I can tell you that there have been plenty of people who have done their research uh, in, in regards to the Word of God and have come to believe that Jesus is who He says He is. You just have to do it genuinely, sincerely. This is nothing new. Satan desires to silence those who would proclaim to others the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ and the love that the Father has shown to all mankind. They say that this is not God, but say these things without any knowledge. that There's no substance behind the words that they're using. Their statements are empty. They're vain. They, they have... No purpose under, other than to distract, divide, and destroy. We, Jesus' disciples, are to, be, are to let the world know that Jesus is the Son of God. He's come to save. And for us, we ought to be. This is Palm Sunday. And just a quick reminder. Cry, cry out. God has come. He's come to save you and me. He is there for you. How are we saved? Well, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. What else? Oh, well, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe that He died for your sins, was buried on the third day, was resurrected. And Jesus of Nazareth, of Galilee, He came to save you. See, it's finished. The, the work was finished on the cross. For us, we just need to come to the place of belief. Once you genuinely believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you will willingly give everything to the Lord. In return, you have eternal life. What I mean by giving everything, you confess, you give Him all your burdens, you give Him all your sin, for He has taken it upon Himself. And He will gladly exchange that to give you eternal life. Hosanna, salvation is here. Thirdly and lastly, the Savior... John chapter 12. Let's turn to John chapter 12. We kind of end where we started. So John chapter 12, verse 12 says... The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke record the people as shouting and crying out, Hosanna. And what it means is, is saved now. It's an expression of adoration, of praise and joy. So all of this was all wrapped up in this one word that they were using for Jesus, toward Him. Hosanna. Save now. We adore you. We praise you. And we find joy in you. Oh, that that would be our heart's song. We adore you. We praise you. And we find perfect joy in you. The people were praising God for sending the Savior who would deliver them from oppression and trouble. They were hailing Jesus as their king and recognizing him as the son of David. True. They believed that salvation had come, and indeed it had, but the king's victory was not an earthly one. It was on earth, but it was not to establish his kingdom on earth, but rather it was far greater. It was an eternal victory over sin and death. The carrying of and laying down of palm leaves and other branches and even clothes symbolized victory and success. And indeed, it would come through. Victory and success, that is, in the completion of the will of the Father at Golgotha, the place of the skull, on the cross. The king had come to conquer sin and death, you see, riding in humbly on a colt into the city of David. David Guzik writes, quote, Jesus came to Jerusalem in humility, yet with appropriate dignity. Instead of, coming, uh, instead of coming on a horse as a conquering general, he came on a colt as was customary for royalty. He came to Jerusalem as the prince of peace. The people had it right. They didn't fully understand it at the time, but they had it right. They did. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Of which these people were part of those who were blind. He came for them. He came for you. He came for me. And the question for us is truly, who have we come to know Jesus as? Who do you say Jesus is? Do you believe He is the Son of God who came to die on the cross for your sins, was buried, was resurrected on the third day? Psalm 118, and then we'll, we'll close. Psalm 118, uh, beginning in verse 19. Psalm 118.19 says, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become 
the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the feastal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. It certainly does. This is why we ought to rejoice, because that has been fulfilled. Because of the hope that we have in Christ, Jesus came to give us life by giving His life willingly. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Today, we, the church, should cry out with full understanding that salvation has come, and we have received it. Do you know salvation? Do you know the Savior? And this is the question that I don't want to leave this morning without asking you. Because I pray. My hope for each and every one of us is, number one, the church would know the Savior and would learn to follow Him. That we would bless and glorify Him with our lives. That we would more accurately reflect his glory to others that means his character that means who he is not us but who he is in our lives that's what i pray for and hope for the church to do but number two if you're here this morning and you don't know the savior you don't know salvation in jesus christ i pray you do not walk out of here without crying out to him hosanna save me i I understand my sin has separated me from you, but I'm going to cry out to you nonetheless because you have promised salvation to all who, cry, who call on your name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Confessing him. So therefore, who am I? I'm no one. I'm a sinner. Why? Because the Bible says that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's none righteous, no, not one. But for me, I'm following through with what I've come to know and that you've come to save, of which I am one that needs saving. And I pray that you would cry out this morning and ask God to forgive you of your sins and to give you a place with Him in all eternity in His glory. And He will. I pray you don't walk out of here the same person you walked in. I pray with all of this said that we consider Palm Sunday for what it is. Jesus came in triumphantly, but he came in for you and I, and I pray that he would enter our hearts triumphantly, and he would create in us, as he promised, a new person who would sing his praises and give thanks to Him, being grateful in our hearts toward Him. Because He went to the cross willingly for you and I. And to that, we are forever grateful for all eternity. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day that You've reminded us 
how it is that you sent, you gave this indescribable gift to us in your Son. And this was the joy that was set before him. The picture of each and every one of us reconciled unto you through him. Lord, he was the sacrifice who went willingly to the cross. A lamb who went quietly. And so, Lord, I pray that you would have your way with us this morning. Thank you for the love that you have demonstrated to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray right now, Lord, that we would sing your praises. We would truly sing like we adore you, like we truly love you, and can't wait to do this face-to-face with you one day and for all eternity. May your church truly sing right now with might and power. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you for your grace has been poured out upon us. For we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. To you is all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.